you can open up uh, your Bibles. Well, anywhere, it's all inspired, but um, I prefer you to go to Ephesians and chapter 4. Um, man, I love being part of this growing community. Um, I love what God's doing with us. I love that we're seeing increase. Um, I love that this building is jam-packed with lots of new faces. As Jeshua said, um, I get to be part of the team that's helping lead with my amazing wife. Um, and we just uh, love uh, how God is adding people. We moved to Boston because we believe that we get to add our voices as a community to the wonderful things that God is already doing in Boston. And uh, it is so cool. Um, we, Kat and I have been uh, praying this last week and we've been thinking, Jesus, what's going to happen with the retreat? We need to make sure that um, COVID doesn't spoil anything. And we've been waiting for confirmation from our guest speakers, uh, John and Ellie Mumford. And I'm so excited to say they've confirmed they are on their way. They're going to be here. Um, I want to encourage you, really signing John and Ellie Mumford carries such an incredible grace um, to uh, empower people in the things of the Spirit. These are our generals in um, the, the uh, kingdom of God. And then also I want to say to you, whatever you do, do not miss Wednesday the 29th. All right, uh, Brian Starley, we are especially flying him out to our community for one night in order to help us. Am I okay on you? It sounds a bit weird, good. In order to help us grow in evangelism. I was sitting uh, yesterday having lunch with some friends out in Somerville um, and uh, kind of tested out my prophetic gift on the waitress that was serving us and realized I've become a little bit rusty in stepping out and praying for people and believing God. There's this kind of weird thing that says people in Boston are antagonistic to the gospel and don't want to hear the gospel. But the Bible says that Jesus is the desire of all nations. They just don't know it yet. And uh, so I'm so looking forward personally to receive from Brian, who carries an amazing gift in signs and wonders, um, and the word of knowledge, helping people understand that God knows them, loves them, and cares for them. If you're an online guest, special welcome to you. Um, we're going to carry on in our series on the fruit of the Spirit. Oh, my gosh. The fruit of the Spirit has undone me the last... Um, seven weeks as we've um, studied this, I have been so convicted deeply, um, I have been so challenged deeply that God is calling the people, um, his people to a higher place of putting this on display. And I look at the current season that we're in, I look, look at the culture that we're in, and I want to tell you the fruit of the Spirit is the answer. Uh, the world doesn't just need an encounter with power, they need an encounter with the character of Jesus. And so Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1 says this. I therefore, Paul talking to the church in Ephesus, this is a revival church. This is a church that has seen the power of God move. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, in the bond of peace. We've been talking through the fruit of the Spirit and we've got to that bit about gentleness. Now, if you are like me, I looked at that word gentleness and uh, we have a little saying in England, it feels a bit naff. It just feels like blah. It feels like gentleness. 
And uh, as I began to study a little bit around what this word gentleness means, I began to realize this is far more transformative than we could ever anticipate, that we have reduced the fruit of gentleness to a kind of thing that we see in kind of weak people. Maybe if you're an Enneagram type four, gentle and caring, or whatever your number is, I never know the numbers. Uh, the point is that we kind of put it down to a little, oh, this is a lovely thing, and all the pastoral types are gentle. You know what I'm saying? Like all the people who just love people warm and fuzzy. Not so when you begin to study this. And I want us to lean into this because I believe the Lord is um, always lifting the standard of how we're to live, not because he's putting legalism on us, not because he's putting laws on us, but because he's inviting us into a complete dependency on who he is. God's calling us to live as the people of God at the table, as a people of gentleness. And I, I hope you'll come on with me, just come with me on a little journey to discover that this virtue, this fruit of gentleness, is one of the most powerful things we can lean into. And so I want to pray and ask Jesus to help me because I'm aware that the fruit of the Spirit doesn't work without the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord Jesus, I ask you, won't you come in? You've already, you're already here. I ask you, just come help me. Help me communicate your truth. Help me communicate what's on your heart in Jesus' name. Uh, just before I get into my sermon, while we were worshiping, I felt the Lord just drop a little word into my heart. Sometimes I flow prophetically. That just means I hear from God for people, uh, which is loads of fun. Um, and I felt like there was someone here right now. You're in a uh, dramatic transition to do with your job. Um, and over the last week in particular, it's like some of the things that you thought were in place suddenly fell out of place and you're just really concerned about it. And you've just kind of been overcome by a little sense of fear. Now, this is family, so I'm gonna ask you to respond to me. You do not need to be afraid. I'm a happy prophet. I don't call out people's sins. I call out the guests in your people. And so if that makes sense to you, you're in a transition around jobs and something's just happened that's caused a sense of anxiety and fear to come in and what you expected didn't happen, can you just quickly put up your hand? I just want to pray for you. You say, oh, great. oh there are numbers of you. Wow. Okay. Um, so I actually felt it was going to be a guy. So I'm going to lean into that if that's all right. And we will pray for you too. Anyways, uh, I've forgotten your name. I met you before. Daniel. Okay, so Daniel, I felt like the Lord really wanted to encourage you that he is wanting to unlock um, such a sense of clarity concerning who you are and concerning the gifts that he's given you. And I feel like in particular, God, is, God has made you to be a man who carries um, grace to empower people around you. It's like you always look to serve the best in people. You've got this incredible mercy gift that you go the extra mile for people. And even in some of your job contexts, you've gone the extra mile, but you've not seen the reward. You've not seen the favor. You've not seen the promotion that's come with that. And I just felt like God wanted to say to you, I've got this, and I, I'm going to orchestrate some events over the next two or three weeks that's going to cause the things that you expected, even in terms of some of, like I could see you in this process of email negotiations around stuff to do with your job, and it's like every goal seems to fall flat or seems to be not met 
But God just wants to encourage you, I'm going to supernaturally reverse that for you. And I'm going to give you some grace to go in with a boldness in this next season. And I just feel like God wants to uh, commend your faith because you've been, even in the midst of the sense of what's going to happen, you say, God, I trust you because you've led me. And uh, you're going to see the fruit of that in the most incredible way. So God, God bless you. Let's see other ladies. I want to pray for you. So Father, I want to thank you that you're doing some turnarounds in job situations. Hey, if you need a turnaround in any job situation, you might as well get in on this prayer. So put your hand on your heart. Father, I'm praying for turnaround for job situations. For many people in this context that need some breakthroughs, where goals have not been met, where breakthroughs have not come. God, I pray that you will release that right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just one more. This is the problem. I often tell people the Holy Spirit's the most inconvenient person I know. He really is. Um, I feel like there's somebody here, you have had a recent diagnosis to do something to do with an immune system complication. Um, so it's something to do with your immune system and you've had some kind of diagnosis over the last kind of four or five months, I think it is. If it's you, can you just wave your hand at me? just feel like I want to pray for you, um, that God will do something significant to do with some kind of immune system condition. Um, going once, going, ah, at the back. Fantastic. Thank you for putting up your hand. Thanks for being brave. Um, so let's stretch out our hands to this lovely lady. I didn't get any medical reports. In fact, I think this is your first time here, but I just want to bless you and believe God for some healing. Father, right now in Jesus' name, we speak to whatever immune system condition, even some food allergies. God, right now we release healing. We release your presence. Let your kingdom come on this body. We ask for a testimony of your goodness, even over the next few weeks, that she with no significant change. In Jesus' name. Hey, ma'am, I, I just feel like the Lord wants to encourage you that the things you've been journaling about over the last kind of three weeks, it's like I see like this journal and I can see you drawing squares around a particular prayer request consistently. It's like, you know, when the paper starts to break because you keep saying, Jesus, do this. Even in terms of some family and relational dynamics in your life, I feel like God's saying, I'm going to start to answer that. And I've seen your heart, and I'm going to meet you where you're at. So God just wants to bless you, and he wants to bless your consistency in believing him. He loves the way you worship when no one else is looking. All right? He loves that about you. There's something about the quiet place that you really connect with God, and God is going to honor that. And he's seen what you've underlined, even in your journal, um, and he's going to answer that in a significant way. So God bless you. Amen. Yay, Jesus. Whenever we see gifts of the Holy Spirit on display in our community like we're just doing, it's a sign that God is with us. It's a manifestation that God's saying, hey, I want to get your attention because I love blessing people. And that's what he's doing. Ephesians chapter 4, I love what Paul is communicating here. He's talking about how we're to live out our calling. He's talking about the manner in which we're to be the people of God in the world. And he calls us to this incredible thing called gentleness, humility and gentleness. And it's not like he, he even caveats it with at certain times. He says, with all humility and gentleness, in every way, in every space, we're called to be a gentle people. Um, and I just want to lean on two things just very quickly before 
we get into what gentleness means. I love this phrase that Paul uses, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. Now, we've been taught a gospel that says, come to Jesus and get your needs met. Come to Jesus and get your breakthrough. Come to Jesus and get some prosperity. Come to Jesus and you'll get your new Mercedes. We... We sing songs about the Lord blessing us with a new Mercedes-Benz, which I sing very often. But really, the gospel is a gospel that causes us to deny our life, to deny our will, to deny our rights, because when we do, we fully find them in Jesus. You know, the gospel beckons us to lay down our life that I might find real life. In him. It is not ordinary, it is not mediocre, it does not fit into our lifestyle. <laughs> this is why I've been finding this jolly series so irritatingly good. Because it's calling me to a place where I lay down some things. And I love this phrase, Paul, a prisoner to the Lord. He, he's literally saying, I am, the phrase here is, I am bound to the Lord. It's like I am chained to Jesus, not like it is. That when I come into the kingdom, when I come into this beautiful life, I find myself attached to Jesus like Siamese twins. We share the same heart. We, we cannot move apart from each other. And I'm consistently empowered by the Spirit to yield my life to the life of Christ. You see, the beautiful thing about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Bible says that Jesus is our new Adam. He's our perfect Adam. Adam, the first Adam that was created, fell and as a result, we've been found in that Adam, but in Christ, we're found in a new Adam. And the Bible says that Jesus, as a as perfect God and perfect man, in the Garden of Gethsemane, as perfect man, did what we could never do, and that is choose the will of God perfectly for all humanity. It's a beautiful thought, and we now have been joined to his will not our will, so that he empowers our desires, our passions. He empowers the very dynamics of our heart to be postured toward the perfection of God's will for our lives and in our lives. I am bound to his will. I am bound to what he wants. I am bound to follow him. He is Lord of all. Or he's not Lord at all. <laughs> I, I want to invite you to this outrageous kind of life that says, Jesus, I will follow you. I will lay down the right to understand in order to follow who you are because who you are is worth following. And the reorientation of our will to a prisoner dynamic to Christ does not come by us trying really hard. It comes by the fact that we're joined to him. We're bound to him. His very will, his right choosing on our behalf now empowers our right choosing in the workplace, in university, wherever we find ourselves. It's a beautiful thought. I love what uh, my friend Terry Virgo says. He says the perfect life that Jesus lived for 33 years on the earth, 
Every decision that he makes as a yes to his father has now been given to us as a free gift, as if we chose those choices ourselves. So when Paul writes, I, Paul, a prisoner bound to the Lord, he's talking about this beautiful dynamic, not just of a, I'm following him, but I'm joined to him so that all that he is now is becoming mine. All that he chooses now are becoming the choices I want to choose. You see, the gospel is not a self-help gospel. It's not a try-hard gospel. It's an empowered by the Spirit gospel. It's all of grace, nothing of us. The only contribution we make in salvation is our sin. Oh, it's beautiful. And not only that, he, he says that I'm bound to the Lord, and now I'm called to walk in a way that reflects my being bound to him. He says, I want you to walk in a, mother, in a manner that is worthy of that calling. Brothers and sisters, our lives need to reflect that we are not bound to the systems, the ideas, the philosophies, and the affections of this world, but we are bound to another. We are joined to another. Let no man separate what God has joined together, Paul says in Romans. as an example that we are now irrevocably connected to Jesus. And our life needs to show that. You see, I've got a wedding ring because this wedding ring shows me that I am bound to the most beautiful woman in the world. And that my covenant responsibility is not one that is something I have to do, but something I want to do because I love the one that I'm joined to. The fruit of the Spirit is not an optional extra, but it is a dynamic that we are called to live in because we are joined to Jesus. Our calling and our destiny is meant to express the fruit of the Spirit, particularly this one called gentleness. Now, when you look up the word gentleness here, it's not like a namby-pamby, Hollywood, weak, ineffective dynamic. No, no, gentleness here is actually the word that is interchangeably used for meekness. And meekness is connected to mercy. And in fact, the word here literally means gentle strength. It actually means, uh, another phrase that, that the interlinear puts it in is strength expressed in gentleness. Doesn't that completely change the way you think about gentleness? You see, we've equated gentleness with weakness or timidity or fearfulness, but gentleness is not, you know, people often used to say, uh, I, I actually was a very fearful kid and so I was very sickly when I was younger. And so people often tell he's like one of those gentle kids, you know, wrap him up in a little bit of cotton wool. But actually gentleness here, according to scripture, according to a kingdom perspective, is strength. It is the very power of God at working us. It's the very strength of Jesus at working us. And, and the thing about the Gospels, whenever you read the Gospels and whenever you read the epistles, is both Paul and Jesus reframe our understanding of power entirely. They reframe our understanding of strength entirely. It does not look like the strongest person in the room. It does not look like the most influential person in the room. It does not look like the one with the most political power in the room. It does not look like the one with the biggest 
biggest title in the room, gentleness is strength that looks often like weakness. It looks like a laid down life. It looks like something that is totally other to the worldly systems that we see. You see, friends, we have to realize, and I'm just going to go here for a moment, that Political systems will not save America or South Africa or England or whatever country you come from because whether or not you legislate good policies is not what changes the hearts of men and women because the kingdom of God is not like in any way the kingdoms of this world. It is a totally other kingdom, upside down in every way, the wrong way in, the wrong way out in every way. It is a kingdom that is otherworldly, but it is made to transform this world. That's what the kingdom looks like. And when Jesus demonstrates what gentleness looks like, the Bible says that Jesus was gentle. Jesus says it on himself, he says, I am gentle and lowly. I'm one who is able to go low and able to go slow and come with gentleness. And when Jesus reframes it, he has this in mind, I believe, according to Philippians, that he did not count equality or power with God as something to be grasped at, but he made himself low very low, and he took on the form of a human. And in that humanity, he chose the pathway of a suffering servant in order to demonstrate his great and powerful strength over the whole cosmos. I find it fascinating that the God of the universe puts on flesh and gives himself to be a little baby. You know, there's something so vulnerable. I got to hang out with baby Nora, who's up front here, our youngest member at the moment at the table. Last night, she's just the cutest thing, and she's almost making me want to think about having another child. <laughs> hey, baby. Hubba, hubba. Um, it's legal. We're married. Um, but there's something so vulnerable, something so weak, something so unspectacular sometimes about a little baby. And the God of the universe chooses to demonstrate who he is, all-powerful, in the context of a vulnerable baby. I wonder if we've made strength about a position, about a title, about physicality, about influence, when actually the kingdom way is about vulnerability. It's about lowliness. It's about weakness. Let me rephrase that. It's about seeming weakness. Jesus reframes what we're supposed to look like. He reframes how we're supposed to demonstrate strength by going low and by going slow. By one who is gentle, who's kind. It's an astounding thought to think that the God who can smite us is also the God who is gentle. And he chooses to live in a way that demonstrates his gentleness because of his love for us. There is nothing in him that is angry with the world today. The Bible says that he no longer counts our sin against us. And that the full expression of his divinity 
It's not just when he's on the cross, but when he's a baby in a manger. It's outrageous. The way of Jesus is the way we should walk. You see, your pursuit of power in the workplace, your pursuit of influential places in politics or business or wherever you end is not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is gentleness. And you know, I love what James chapter 3 and verse 13 says. It says, he who is wise or who is understanding, let him show this by his works in gentleness. <laughs> you know, the spirit of this age tells us if you shout louder, if you exert force more, that you're being wise and that you're demonstrating understanding. If you just get onto social media a little bit louder, just, just you know, get your TikTok looking a little bit more provocative, and then you'll have real influence to change things. That is not the way of Jesus. You know, one of the things that I'm learning in parenting, just a little confession, <laughs> is that no matter how loud I might try and want to shout or exert my force, no matter how loud I want to try and get bigger than my kids in order to try and say, do what I'm telling you to do, they never respond to that. <laughs> but when I get low, down, and like the Bible says, return anger with a gentle answer, Something shifts in their heart. The Bible says a gentle answer turns away wrath. And that word for wrath is not just anger, it's literally strong emotion. Gentleness is required by the people of God. And I wonder if we've missed something of that dynamic because we've so got caught up in reflecting the culture of the world. What are you telling me to? Titus chapter 3, I, I really didn't want to read this verse, but I have to, and it's so frustrating. Do you ever read the Bible and think, why did Jesus write that? Why did the apostles write that? I now have to change. <laughs> do, you ever, do you ever do that? I do that often. Gentleness is strength under control. Gentleness is strength being expressed. Biblical strength being expressed. Listen to this. Titus chapter 3, Paul is writing to his friend Titus. It's this amazing um, apostolic encourager. And he says this, Remind them to be submissive to the rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. Paul is talking about the political climate of a very oppressive regime. I mean, should I just stop right there because it's going to get a little bit more challenging. You up for a challenge? Because when I read this, it challenges me to the core. He goes on to say, to be obedient to and ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, and to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and in envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, 
not because of works done in our, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing and the regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This this saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist. Insist on this so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for all people. Listen, the Bible says that the most powerful way we get to transform culture is by being gentle. See, you want to counter the empire and the powers that be? Be gentle. And the reason you're called to be gentle is because his loving kindness and gentleness has been poured out to us, not based on our merit, but based on his love toward us. Oh, dear friends, this is so challenging to the core. You see, I grew up in an oppressive regime. I know what it's like to live in a way that orientates your heart toward gentleness, even when there is mass oppression. And this verse is written in the same context. In fact, there were worse conditions for the people of God in these days than there are for us today. I'm calling us as a people, if we really want to change the culture around us, we have got to be a gentle people, gentle with our words, gentle with our actions, gentle with our social media accounts, gentle with our disagreements. Because gentleness is the supreme expression of strength under the influence of the kindness of God. I want my strength that God has made available to us to be expressed through gentleness because it demonstrates who he is. Gentleness is the vehicle through which the fruit of the Spirit is put on display. Gentleness is the visible demonstration of love toward people. Can you see how counterculture God's called us to be? You know, one of the places that I feel least gentle is when I'm on a customer care line waiting with hold music. (laughs) Oh, Lord Jesus, it's one of the places that if I could, I don't know if I'm allowed to do this, but I'm going to say it anyway. If I could, I'll just say this. The thoughts that I think are not godly at that moment, particularly when there's a sense of injustice. You are doing me wrong, and now you put me on hold for 20 minutes. To Kenny G. It is such an old, you guys don't even know who Kenny G is, but anyway. Um, do, you know, do you know that kind of lift music that you're just thinking, sweet Jesus, if this carries on, I'm going to go crazy. And then by the time the lovely lady saying, good day, sir. How may I help you today? And all you want to do at that point is tell them what you really think. It's in that moment that you'll see what fruit is really at work in your heart. And it's in that moment that you've got to stop and say, Holy Spirit, I need you to help me 
to bring a gentle word. You know, the thing that I've noticed in my own life is that I've allowed things to slip. And the Bible says that out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. And I suddenly realized, oh, Jesus, the way I just spoke tells me something else is at work in my heart, not you. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 11 gives us a command to pursue gentleness. In other words, I have to posture myself in a way that leans into gentleness. This is a decision of the will. It's not just a how I feel moment. It requires a decision of the will. I love what Proverbs chapter 16, listen to this guys, this is a powerful thought. Proverbs 16 and verse 32, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. I want to suggest to you that if we could generally take a city for the kingdom, it's going to require that we rule our spirits well. I remember as a youth pastor, a young youth pastor, I loved youth pastoring, by the way. It was one of my favorite things. I youth pastored for nearly 10 years. I, I just, it was a blast. Uh, crazy teenagers encountering God. It was just loads of fun. And I, I remember one particular teenager, we'll call him Jim for the sake of this recording. Jim was one of those kids that you wanted to karate kick in the head. He, he had um, ADHD. He was super hyperactive. He was every stereotype. Look, I just want to say this very clearly. This was before we now know what we do know about helping kids who are struggling um, with attention deficit or, or impulse control. Back then, I didn't have any of the kind of knowledge and education I now have around how to engage with them. But this kid, oh, sweet Jesus. I don't think I pray more for someone not to show up at youth than this one. And I wish it was like, you know, all rights reserved. We allow people in who we want. We kick people out who we, you know, kick out. But that, that wasn't the case in youth. And I remember one Christmas, I went away and came back to my office just shortly after New Year's. And on the pavement, on the sidewalk, I need to remember sidewalk, not pavement, um, American translation. On the sidewalk, there was this explicitly vile insults written to me in spray paint. So my first day back at the office, Julian is a bleep, 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 bleep. And uh, I knew exactly who it was. And then I got a text confirming who it was because the other person who was with him felt so guilty that he needed to tell me that actually it was this guy, I was with him, I saw it. And uh, I had a choice, you know, like some of my other elders who were working with me are like, we need to punish this kid. He needs to learn a lesson. And uh, I said to him, listen, let me just pray about it. I, I want to make sure that I serve this kid well. I mean, I, I must admit, at that point, I was like, I'm going to embarrass him publicly. I'm going to use my prophetic gifts and call him out publicly and pretend like the Lord spoke to me. Godly I am indeed. And I felt the Lord say, I want you to love him like your own son. I want, you to, I want you to show him mercy. You've got every right to tell him off. You've got every right to stand him up in the next youth meeting and say, Jim, 
I know you did this. You are wrong for doing that. You are banned from use. We're going to make my life easier. And I felt the Lord saying, no, no, I want you to love on him. And I, I chose to do that, and I went up to him. I said, Jim, I know you did this, but I want you to know I'm going to love you. I forgive you. And I, I literally gave him a hug and just showed him mercy. Two years ago, I got an email from Jim. And he is loving Jesus, going after Jesus. And in his email to me, he said, it's because you showed me grace that I had a lasting image of who God is. Brothers and sisters, anger is easy. I feel the presence of God in you. It's easy for us to respond. I, I, I tell you, Anger sometimes is my natural default. And I love when people say to me, I've got a righteous anger. Uh, no, you don't. <laughs> Most often in the Bible, anger, the expression of anger is not sinful. Um, oh, sorry, the, the, the concept of anger is not sinful. Um, it's the expression that requires a high attitude. It requires a posturing. You know, the thing about fruit is it grows in a particular soil. And I've learned that the soil of cynicism, the soil of my rights, the soil of what I want, I get immediately, the soil of not understanding the process of delay in the kingdom, the soil of frustration, the soil of anger, all of that creates fruit that does not look like the Holy Spirit. It requires a cultivation of my own heart consistently. So I take the rubbish out and I put the goodness of God in. I love it when people have this dynamic of power and I need to just tell people what it's like. You know that every context of expression of power in the New Testament, I would argue, when Paul even talked about military power, when Jesus talked about uh, the kingdom of power, when the, the epistle writers talk about the church being like an army, it's always connected to a number of things. One, it's connected to your mind, not your action. It's connected to spiritual warfare, not people in front of you. It's connected to endurance, in other words, sticking in your station until the breakthrough comes. And lastly, whenever there is a military reference, in other words, a power reference, and it connects to people, it's always connected with gentleness. You, you go do a study in the epistles, you'll see this. Yet we've made it our right to placard, to, we've made it our right to shout, we've made it our right to be militant in our expression of Christianity when the Bible does not look like that at all. Full stop, period, underline. Three keys that I want to give you in walking in gentleness. Am I being gentle enough? You know, gentleness is not a lack of truth-telling. Gentleness is not a timidity. But it is this posture that says, I will serve you. In fact, one of the words for gentleness is appropriateness or the right response. God calls us to bring the right response in the right moment with strength that is expressed in a gentle touch, in a gentle word in a gentle posture where I don't have to get up 
try and make myself bigger and you smaller in order to bring the truth. But I go low because that's the way of the kingdom. Three things is helping me walk in gentleness. Um, and I wish I could say that I get this right all the time. I don't. I'm, I'm learning. I'm learning to depend on Jesus more. Both the be attitudes and the fruit of the Spirit all are an invitation to dependency on him. Firstly, we need a correct assessment of our need for Jesus. You know, the reason we're saved is because the loving kindness of God appeared to us. The reason we have responded to him is because he initiates faith in us. He initiates his kindness toward us. And we respond. The Bible says it's the kindness of God. The goodness of God is actually a word that encompasses this thought of gentleness that leads us to change the way we think. And I am realizing more and more that a moment wasted with Jesus in worship, in affection, in time fuels the context in which the fruit of the Spirit grows. When we healed our rights and we become prisoners of Christ, it produces a life of unexpected miracles and fruit. It means that I get up in the morning and say, Jesus, today is not my day, it's your day. Today I need to lean into you. I need wisdom that comes from you, which, by the way, is peaceable and gentle, James tells us. What does it look like for us to keep yielding to him? And I want to invite you to that. What does it look like for you in your time with Jesus to allow his life to infuse ours so that we can walk in this place of gentleness? Second, I'm learning to realize that because Jesus has treated me better than I deserve, I have to treat everyone else better than they deserve. You see, somewhere... In our thought process, we, we still think that we deserve the blessing that we get. Somewhere in our thinking, we still think that I deserve things to go right for me. The reality is the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of God's mark of perfection. In fact, the Bible uses the word glory, which speaks of his goodness. We have fallen short of his goodness. But in Christ... He's connected us back to him so that everything we get, we get by way of his undeserving goodness, kindness, and grace, and gentleness. The last thing is worship. You know, um, the Bible says that we're to guard our hearts where out of it flows the issues of life. In, in other words, that what, what's happening in your heart, the seat of your affection. Notice I'm not saying the seat of your intellect or your intelligence, although I believe we can know God in that way. I'm not saying simply in the seat of your decision-making processes, although we need to decide to follow him. I'm talking about the heart of our, the seat of our affection. You, you see, ultimately, our life boils down to one thing. We get to do on earth what we will do in eternity forever, and that is worship. 
It's the one thing we do right now that we choose to do right now that will go on forever and ever and ever. Everything else is going to pass away except this dynamic of an undivided attention and affection for the one that I love, for the one that I'm seeing, for the one that I adore because when I see him, I'll see him in all of his glory, in all of his splendor, in all of his beauty, in all of his majesty, and it's when I rightly see him that I rightly see me, and it's when I rightly see him that I become like him. What you behold, you will become like. I, I wonder if we've beheld sin so much that we start living sinful lives. I wonder if it's because we've beheld things on social media and newspaper clippings and whatever, that we become like that. We're actually beholding him as in a mirror. The Bible says we are being changed into that very image from one degree of glory to another. That it's this place of worship I find more often than not. And when I flick on some worship, when I'm seriously angry, that it settles my heart reorientates my affections. See, I realize this is probably not as bad as I'm making it out to be. Because when you see his bigness, you see everything in its right proportion. And the key to this whole sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit is not simply to do more, but learn to worship a little bit more. Learn to posture our heart in the place of his presence and learn to give our affection to him in an undivided way, in an undivided pursuit. It's why we worship long in our community. I hope you worship like this at home. I hope you give yourself like this at home. I know that everything is worship, but there is something about orientating your affection to him in a way that softens our heart and keeps us pliable. I said to Katia and actually Jeshua earlier this week, I feel like, what can you talk about gentleness? And then when I studied this, I'm like, sweet Jesus. Gentleness is the very strength that we're asking God for every single day. When we say, give me more power, give me more strength, he's saying, I'm going to give you gentleness. Will you live in that? Friends, I pray that at the table, this community would not be known for activism, would not be known for protesting systems. I actually believe we need to do that, just for the record. There are ways we need to do that. But I believe, I want us to be known as a gentle community. A community who holds strength and deploys it and displays it well. You know, one of the words for gentleness, and I can't find the scripture, I can't remember the scripture right now, actually is the word for extraordinary justice. Extraordinary justice is one of the ways the Bible describes the gentleness of God because it's connected to his goodness. What you think is a level of justice, God says that's nothing. I want to give extraordinary justice, the kind of justice that brings everyone 
into the right place in relationship with him. Can we be, can we be a gentle people? Can we at the table model gentleness to this activist-driven city with the kindness of God? Won't you stand? I was trying to figure out what ministry moment I should do right now, and I kept feeling the Lord saying, just invite them to throw themselves on me. <laughs> like, that, that, that's the answer, right? Just to say, Jesus, here I am. I'm throwing myself on you. I'm throwing my affection on you. I could give you five steps to being a gentler person, but the reality is it starts with worship. So why don't you just put your hand on your heart if you don't mind. Guys, I'm so excited about where we're going as a community. I feel like God is doing such a deep work these last few weeks have challenged me to the core, but has invited me to complete dependency on him again. You see, I know I'm prone to professional Phariseeism. I know I'm prone to becoming a professional Christian where I do all the stuff on the outside, but I've not been transformed on the inside. The reason I know I'm prone to that is because I'm prone to legalism and religion, because that's a lot easier than dependency and grace. And so, Father, we as the community at the table, together with our guests and new friends, we come and stand before you and we recognize that you other example, Jesus. You said, I am gentle of heart. God, would you help us live in the place of postured gentleness so that the incredible strength that you've given us would be expressed through the fruit of gentleness. I pray that we would be a people who understand that power is always tethered to meekness and gentleness. So we throw ourselves on you. Gentle, kind God. You could kill us, <laughs> but you love us, and so you don't. Even at our worst moments, you show us your gentleness. We ask you that you help us be more like you. That as we rediscover who we are in you, that it would not be about our rights, but it will be about your kindness. Just in your heart right now, I want to invite you to join yourself as a prisoner to Christ again. You already are if you're a Christian. But I want your mind and your heart to catch up with that afresh. Do you want to do that right now? You just do a moment with God. I, I can't do this for you. God, I pray that you would give us many opportunities this week <laughs> to walk in gentleness. A gentle answer turns away wrath. God, help us live as a people of gentleness. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the Sunday Morning Podcast from The Table, Boston.
where you'll find the latest teachings from our Sunday meetings. Find more from us at thetableboston.com.